edition of the Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Hi, Joe. It's good to be back with you. It's been I missed the last episode where you did another esports show. Seems to be a trend. A collegiate esports show, yes. which was a little bit different, and it was timely. So, very timely. Right? Yep. So very timely. Just actually, before we jump into our show today, maybe just mention that. Yeah. All indications are um, not because we did the podcast. Uh, with those <laughs> right. guys. We pressured. Right. We're like Mike and the Mad. You're making pressured the NCAA into right. doing something. Right. Um, that there was an RFP put out for the NCAA to actually look into what esports could be, which is really, really interesting. Right. Um, and one of the things that was pointed out in the podcast was, so let's say you have, and you're going to have all these collegiate esports in various games, and you're at UCLA, and the UCLA League of Legends team wins, they can make money. So if they're sitting there, everybody's proclaiming that the UCLA League of Legends team is great, and you have the UCLA football and basketball players sitting there saying, wait a minute, this isn't uh, a college sport. Those guys are making money, but yet we can't make any money? How is that right, going to so play it's not out? sanctioned, obviously. It's a club, it will be a club activity. For right. So, and, and they absolutely said, you know, like a violinist, if, if you're a violinist and you're in college and you go and you win a competition for a million dollars, you get the money. money. Yeah. So they, they wow. said, so okay. that's a really, that's really one of those tip of the iceberg things that I think people are going to... Okay, so it's an RFP. Who did the RFP go to? Uh, they didn't really say. So I mean, I to independent. I think it's to independent um, people in the business who would be able to advise uh, the NCAA on the path that they should take. So it probably, I would imagine it's by gaming companies, um, people involved in, in esports and gaming. Right. Um, technology companies, and I think, I, I think we know just the man to do it. So yeah, right what's his name? <laughs> uh, Maurice. That's it. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the other interesting thing, and you know, they're obviously not going to say is, you know, did they ask Octagon and IMG and and right? Well, that's what I, my mind yeah. went to the agencies yeah. right away, just for especially the ones who practices. were involved in college sports. Yeah. So, all right. So one more interesting <laughs> thing before we begin. Uh, the show proper is, I know you were at the U.S. Open yesterday, mm -hmm. this week. Uh, so, Wednesday. that sounded like you got a good day. It was I great think. day. Uh, so, tell us about what you noticed. What was interesting this year compared to last time, and what was uh, unusual? The biggest thing is the building, the building that's going right. on, and the fact that when you think about it, there will be a time in the near future where there will be these other massive, beautiful stadiums where Louis Armstrong was, where the grandstand was, but they will be individually priced. So, you know, meaning you buy a standalone ticket from one of the specific venues. You could, or you could pay a la carte and go to various ones. So okay. now, for anyone who's been to the U.S. Open the last few years, you know, you could buy a grounds pass on the first week, right. see some pretty interesting outside matches, go to everything except for Ash and for Louis, yeah. and have a, have a pretty good day. Mm -hmm. Now there are going to be tickets needed for separate stadium, which happens at the French Open already. Really? So, you know, the a la carte pricing is going to be interesting. But beyond that, I mean, it is still the biggest and best event in New York. I remember when CBS had it and Sean McManus said, look, it's the, the reason why it was so important to us for all those years was because it was the only massive event that we knew we could take advertisers to and our partners to in New York every year at the same time. And frankly, we didn't even care if they played tennis. We could just walk around and have a good time. Yeah, the, the, the corporate having... You and I have both been around the block a few times mm -hmm. at corporate hospitality in this business, and it's without question yeah. the best 
hospitality environment in all of sports. Yep. I think many of us would, would agree. And you know, I have to say, um, I spent some time with the, the people at American Express and the, the pavilion that they had built, which was just every year it gets better. And this year, not only for their card members, just for the general public to be able to come in and get out of the heat and get out of kind of all the stuff that's going on and have a really nice experience uh, was really, really special. Mercedes is doing stuff like if you pull up to the parking lot and you're in a Mercedes, you park for free, which yes. I thought was great. Right. Um, so, you know, again, the USTA. So, you got free parking. Uh, yeah, well, I drove. Uh, <laughs> actually, this Honda, I know. I know. Okay. Yeah. Honda, you were actually out near the body shops. I, 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 won't say, here, 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 here. I won't say that I asked somebody for parking. Actually, I didn't right. have to pay for parking yesterday, okay. which is very rare for me. Okay. But, um, but, but I, I've been to that VIP parking. It's a lot yeah. better than the regular parking. Yeah. So. And it's, um, it's an amazing cultural experience to be there. Mm -hmm. so, and, and it's and so and international. That's the other thing that's so interesting to me, too, because you don't see that international, mm -hmm. uh, or to get that international vibe at any other event, including Super Bowl, yeah. I would say. And for as big as it's still intimate, where you know, you're walking in the ground around the grounds, and you know, John McEnroe will be running to something, or right. Jan Teriak will be going the other way. And then did the ESPN crew have their little setup near the yes. front, the and, front and of the Yes, and Eurosport does, too, as well, okay. so there's two of them now. Yeah. Um, you see some of the talent going up. And the down. talent, and it's funny, having worked in tennis, and you're standing there and like, Aaron Krikstein walked by me. Right. And I'm like, man, that guy looks like Aaron Krikstein, yeah. except he doesn't have, you yeah. know, kind of the Except he's anymore. 20 years older. Right. And Matt's Vlander, uh, one other funny right. story. Yeah. So Matt Vlander was there for um, doing stuff for Eurosport, and my friend, um, a friend of mine is the, Joe Lynch is the director of admissions at Gettysburg College. So Joe and I stalked Matt's Vlander for a while because... Joe had a hat because Matt Vlander's son is going to Gettysburg College as a hockey Gosh. player. So I actually put it on my Twitter feed. I got a picture of Matt Vlander putting on the Gettysburg College hat, that's, which is as bizarre as you could ever think. You know, but those are the crazy things that happen at the at the Open. Nice. So. All right. Well, we got a great guest today. So mm -hmm. why don't you intro introduce uh, Sabrina? Uh, you yep. know, know her more than I do so far. Yep. But we're going to get to know her today, and it really should be an interesting conversation. So first of all, it's a welcome to the one of the newer members of the Columbia faculty, Sabrina Hannum. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Sabrina. Yep. Good to have you here. And. Um, She's going to be doing some stuff around the program this semester and going forward, which is great. Can never have enough. She's got a very interesting background that she'll get into. Uh, an interesting kind of Ivy League pedigree, but also has worked extensively in sports on the legal side, uh, a little bit on the marketing side, on the athlete side, and on the event side. So Sabrina Hannum, welcome. Thank you. Really good to have you. So why don't we just um, start out with a quick intro. Mm -hmm. um, and tell us a little bit about where, how, how you kind of got into the business after your, your education. Sure. Or actually, if you want to just do a quick background or yeah. where you grew up and stuff, that's interesting. Yep. For Absolutely. I am from New York originally. However, I moved to California for law school. But we welcomed you back, so that's good. Thank you so, so much. So now yeah. I split time yeah. because I actually yeah. love California. What part of New York, by the way? Both. Where'd you grow up? Right here in New York City, oh, good. so it's yeah. um, <laughs> I'm home now. I spent some time in California, loved it, so I'm back and forth all the time. And I went to law school, at the University of California, Berkeley. Met some wonderful, wonderful doctors there that were working with the NFL players, actually on workers' compensation and so forth. And these were my neighbors, and some there were some team owners that were my neighbors as well, and they tell me about, oh, Sabrina, these uh, guys have, are 28 years old with seven injuries. 
And it was very interesting to me because they're, work, they're getting workers' comp, they're young people, and you would think that they've made so much uh, money in the, in the NFL that they wouldn't need workers' comp. So it became an intriguing subject for me as I was studying in law school. And were you a sports or football fan growing up? or I had to be because or? I'm the youngest of five children, four boys. Wow. And so I have, I have to love every sport because some love cricket, some love tennis, some basketball, football. So I almost was forced to mm -hmm. love sports. Right. So I've watched everything, know about probably every athlete and more than anyone needs to know. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was, so I had an interest in sports, but not on the business side. So the physicians began to tell me about all the injuries and how it impacts the, the, the NFL because the concussion has an issue uh, that is very, very real and uh, continuing and recurring within the NFL, the, the entire league. It's not just the players, it's the, the league has and to And this is why you were in law school at Berkeley? While I was right. in law school, like because there were doctors, like, they, were, they came over to dinner at, during Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we talked about everything from politics to sports right. and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, but they'd say things to me like, would you represent me? Like, no, it's going to be malpractice because I don't have a law degree. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was, I said, but when I'm done, absolutely. And as I continued on, I continued to have additional friends who were now doctors for teams. And so they, as doctors for the teams, and now they're dealing with the orthopedic aspect of the, with the players, and then the injuries just became a lot more, and it became, okay, so now it's an Achilles and all these other injuries. And I found it, again, very interesting, but I like to see it from 30 feet above ground level. I wanted to understand how does this impact the players? How do the owners perceive this? How does the management perceive this? And so I actually didn't take a uh, stance with the players initially. I became a corporate lawyer, have a broad-based practice in corporate law. So I did a lot with private equity, venture capital, representing professional teams, owners, and so forth. But in in the corporate aspect mm -hmm. and so didn't get involved much with the players initially because I wanted to get a sense of the organization how it worked in a, there were so many corporate governance matters and issues and advising the board and so forth because that was where my specialty and studies actually and I wouldn't say specialty but that's where I had a, a passion so then again speaking with the doctors the conversations conversations continued and I had more of a sense of what's happening with the players in terms of now they're broke. Now they have no funding. And some of them, now I spoke with a lot of them because now they'd see me at the facilities. They'd talk to me and they'd say, well, my children don't know my name. Uh, I, and I'm saying, why? There's why I had a concussion and so forth. And so then I met some of the retired players and some of them said, well, Again, I'm, I'm broke, and how are you broke? Because you were making a lot of money. And so, oh, well, I was an NFL player, so my face was covered. No one really knew me, so I went and I spent all this money, you know, on uh, gold chains and partying right. and so right. forth. And so there were some instances where I, I began to discuss these issues with the 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 owners and so forth, and they there were actually uh, systems in place to handle 
your uh, compensation and what do you do after retirement and so forth. But then everyone felt like this is not ever going to be me. So no one focused on what do I do after sport. Mm -hmm. So again, I continued to focus on the corporate side and the team owners and professional league side. Then as time went on, I've noticed that a lot of the our corporate clients wanted to have deals with the players where they have an equity interest that they take a stake in the company mm -hmm. and using their intellectual property. So we started to do the endorsements and sponsorship deals and so then I became more involved on the business side with players as well. And then after I... So how, how do you get client number one? Like you, there had to be a moment where you, you pivoted to that part of the business. So yes. can you tell you who the client was? <laughs> I... I you know, I haven't uh, requested his permission, okay. but I'll say this. So I attended the University of Pennsylvania okay. as well. That was a damn good school. The Wharton so, Business School. So very few NFL players. Oh. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very few, yeah. very few. But there are uh, management, CEOs, chairman of the board, mm -hmm. who okay. I advise on a regular basis that attended as well. Okay. So yep. I did a lot of board. So we can Google that later. <laughs> Right, you okay. really could. <laughs> and it's interesting because so I met one of the chairman of the board at one of the teams, and there was a reception for all the pen alums. And so you're going to Google this and find out all this information. So, well, met, who owns an NFL team? <laughs> well, so we're, we're, we're at a reception and we're talking, and we instantly connected. Mm -hmm. And then he went overseas, sent me a deal, and I said, this is amazing. But I, because of the background, I believe in the relationship at Penn, it made it a lot easier to have the conversation. He knew my background. He knew that I uh, advise public corporate boards. He knew that I do from Sarbanes-Oxley, executive compensation today with Cypher Security. He knows that I've been doing that for such a long time that it was an easy lift. He says, I have a deal, I need it done. And he called me on a Friday evening and he said, well, I need this done today. And I said, of course. He was in a different time zone, of course. Mm -hmm. Of course it's going to happen. It was done by a, a Saturday morning. And he says, well, I'm impressed. And, and that just opened the door and the gates for additional referrals. So I just want to set the stage one more time just to make sure that I'm clear about what you said. Sure. So you have a law degree from Berkeley. Yeah. I have a law degree from the University of Pennsylvania. University of Pennsylvania. So you transferred to the University of Pennsylvania. Precisely. Okay. And did you go to Wharton as well? I did go to Wharton Business School as well. And then where did you go undergrad? I went to John Jay College. That's quite a jump, which no. is pretty impressive. No. Here, so, here, the, here's the story mm -hmm. with John Jay College. So, so all the NBA teams practice. He used to practice anyway. So. Right. Well, so and, it's Brooklyn, right? No, it's right here in Manhattan. Right, in so. the city. So I met John in Cochran there while he was on mm -hmm. the O.J. Simpson, uh, so this NFL connection again. So he's on the O.J. Simpson trial. I met him, and I wanted to be a criminal lawyer. Said, okay, well, everyone expects me to be a criminal lawyer. I can relate to the defendants. I, I you know, I got this. Then he says to me, Why do you want to be a criminal lawyer? Just because everyone wants to see you do that. He described the manner in which he wins his criminal cases and how he was going to win this OJ Simpson case. Like, of course, you're going to win. I had no clue. He wasn't walking around with the bloody glove. That right? wasn't walking that at all. And he actually won. He he told me a little bit about his, his strategy. I didn't mm. understand it because I was a college student. Mm. But he challenged me to think about becoming a corporate lawyer because it, no one was doing 
that as a black mm -hmm. woman, mm -hmm. it just was important for me to do something that no one else is doing to create my competitive advantage, to create gender diversity True. in this uh, market. So it, it, he motivated me in ways that no one else ever did. No one, ever, no one ever challenged me to be a trailblazer. And mm -hmm. it's, it's why not represent a major team? And I said, well, there are no owners that look like me. And he says, well, that's why you represent wow. a major team. So those conversations, conversations were had behind closed doors. And he was a mentor for a long time, but wow. not... And I thought it would be for criminal law because that's what I wanted to do. But he he didn't dissuade me from practicing criminal law. But he said, well, look at the demographics. Look at what's happening. Why don't you create, you can create diversity in this space. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, I'm not like an activist attorney, that's, but I just wanted to practice law. But it just so happened to make sense that if, why don't you interact with people that you don't normally interact with. Mm -hmm. I interact with defendants all the time. I walk past them, they see me, and they will never think I'm a lawyer. But you've lived in a community with team owners. Why not work with under sure. deals? And right. it just makes sense. Right. So do you, was that the first... When you met Johnny, was that the first time you actually thought about law or law school? No, I actually enrolled in John Jay College Thinking because you I, okay. since 14 years old, wow. this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a criminal lawyer, and, I, and, and I'm ready. What, what was the influence or inspiration of 14 that got you thinking that? I wish I could say I was that advanced at 14. <laughs> at 14, I saw so many uh, defendants that I pretty much saw... In, in classes, in school, in my neighborhood, going through through the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. I really saw that. I did, and I, w I started working very young for, because I just am a workaholic, I think. So I started working at 14 in, uh, at in doing internships because I was intrigued by this. I wanted to see, why are these guys going to jail like wow. this? And then I saw people getting shot for three, uh, having a three musketeer bar. And so I said, okay, so I need to understand this. So I'd go to different farms and you know, intern, intern, I didn't get paid or anything. It was just, let me understand this process. So I felt like, okay, well maybe I need to defend these defendants because I think he's a good guy. I don't know, I have no clue. I don't know if he did it or not. So that was the motivation for me. I saw that around me all the time. Yeah. And so, but, but by the time I entered John Jay, like I said, Johnny Cochran helped me to understand that, well, you don't have to save the world. <laughs> and you can pretty much do something different just because you love that space or you want to do, create another uh, avenue for other attorneys to come behind you and say, well, I could do corporate law. I can practice corporate law. I don't have to pretty much represent these defendants because everyone expects to see me here. So once you got into the the um, NFL environment, yes. um, that kind of was the beginning of your sports Correct. law career That's that has blossomed in really interesting ways, it sounds like. So can you talk about how that evolved and what, and what you went on to do after that? Well, after getting involved uh, with the NFL and the concussions and me helping the players actually thinking about life after sports, technology came 
became huge and everything is being disrupted now. So we have, you know, internet of things. We have so much going on. Again, I'm in Silicon Valley and I'm, and I'm still going back and forth now, splitting my time. So technology is huge. If we're, everything is e-commerce or there's Uber or some type of trend going on. And so the athletes now became more aware of technology. So they're moving away from sponsorships and endorsements. The companies are moving away from mere sponsorships and endorsements, and now it's, why don't you bec become a member of our advisory board on this particular company, mm -hmm. that this tech company? Mm -hmm. And then more of the giants of the world, that mm -hmm. if, we, if they pull the plug tomorrow, the Facebook, the Apple, we probably wouldn't be able to, to make a phone call. Right. So those companies started to get a, Involved with technology with the athletes as well, mm -hmm. and then the athletes begin to invest. If you saw uh, recently, there's some athletes that are now in the cloud as of today. There was mm -hmm. something in the news about that, mm -hmm. and so they're going forth and they're they're creating joint, they're creating venture mm -hmm. uh, ventures, hundred million dollar ventures. They're creating other tech-based uh, companies where they're investing in twenty different companies, and so I transitioned from mayor endorsement sponsorships and now working with the corporations and companies on the actual intellectual uh, property side. So, so you've talked, you know, obviously you can't really talk about your clients because the uh, uh, attorney-client client attorney privilege. privilege. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but who are some of the athletes that you see out there who are doing amazing things that you may be following just as from a, from a, you know, from an investment or from an entrepreneurial standpoint? Are there some athletes, both male and female? Sure. So Kobe Bryant, of course, comes to mind because he started at this uh, venture when he retired, and it's I believe it's about a hundred million dollar venture. That's mm -hmm. huge, and that's important because that is a success story of transitioning from life after after basketball into something that's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. The current athletes, you're, I think of Serena Williams, who is now a part of the board of Survey Monkey. And I think of also a current athlete, Carmelo Anthony, mm -hmm. who is also invested with Melo7 mm -hmm. in techs, and he's, I think it's about 28 companies that he's invested in wow. as well. So uh, uh, Steph Curry from The Warriors mm -hmm. sure. also has a social right. media yeah. presence. And Katie, uh, Kevin Durant yeah, is also mm -hmm. the advisory board. Wow, of just a goes on it's just, it just goes on. So, Brian, what do you think are some of the skills and Good traits question. that are most transferable from professional athletes, because obviously not everybody can do it. Right. It sounds like a good idea, but we anybody who's been around entrepreneurs and new companies knows it's really hard. Sure. Some are doing it better than others. Um, some probably shouldn't be doing it. But what skills and traits are most important? I think one of the skills is the training that they receive when they receive get an injury. Athletes continue to work out on every other body part except the injured part until that particular injured part becomes well enough, and then they focus on that again. It's just like a company. So some days you're, you're going to have great results, and then other days you're going to say, why did I even get into this? Yeah. So I think that if you take that approach and say, okay, well, X, A and B are not working out today, but let me just focus on C and to Z until A to B gets better, then your company will succeed. Those are some of the skill sets. Being disciplined because everyone sees people in the field on the court and think that this is it. No, this. There was tons and tons of practice that and, and goes into 
and hours and hours of discipline mm -hmm. and practice that goes into getting ready for game day. And so if you're going to invest in any company, you're doing due diligence and you're also making sure that you're aware of all current events, what's happening, right. what, what's, what's the trend, what's, what's, what's happening next. And so I think that is just getting prepared for the day when, when you're launching your company. Or I don't see a lot of uh, athletes uh, in the IPO space. I did the second largest mm -hmm. IPO in the United States in 2006. And so I don't speak to Which was? Uh, Spirit Airlines. Oh, Spirit Airlines, great. Wow. So, we dragged the name out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're going to yes, keep trying. Sorry. Well, that one was in the newspaper, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I, okay. it's done. That one's okay. So, <laughs> oh, no, you're not. <laughs> okay, so it, it's, uh, I believe that certain skills are definitely transferable. IPO, it's hard to t tell an NFL player, okay, so we're going to acquire this company, we're going to go public four years later. I think those skills are, are not, you definitely need a legal team and other team members to help you with that. How, um, with the clients that you have without naming them, obviously, um, how hands-on are they? Because that's one of the things I think that always comes up is people slap their name on something and you know, I've been around athletes who say, oh, I'm gonna go do this, but then my lawyer, my agent, my significant other are the ones who are really doing the work, especially around foundations. How, how involved, and do you tell them, is that like, you're not just slapping your name on this, you gotta actually be there. Right, there's a follow-up, yeah. is that, you know, we grew up in an era where most professional athletes who got into the big time endorsement deals would do car dealerships, mm -hmm. restaurants, and there are just legendary flameouts right. for many athletes. And by the way, decades. you've seen what Kurt, what happened to Kurt Schilling in the gaming space. Right, well. and then Kurt Schilling. So, the well, there, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of variations on that. But the point being that one of the things I think if you look back and analyze those is in many cases they made bad decisions about partners and about the business aspects that they essentially uh, gave to someone else to be responsible for. So, so Joe's question I think is really important. How hands-on do they need to be, especially in this very disrupted business environment we live in? They have to be extremely hands-on. Absolutely, if you don't understand certain principles, you're, you'll definitely get a good team around you who does. You'll get your team of attorneys, and uh, you'll get your financial advisors, you'll get your investment bankers, you'll get everyone involved in the process and on the deal. However, you, you don't need to be able to articulate all the concepts, but you definitely need to understand them. You definitely need to understand how this, uh, you're, you're funding a particular company, how the money is being spent. You, there has to be full disclosure. Mm -hmm. If you don't understand something, I believe that I speak with my clients all the time, you need, you're paying me to understand. So make sure you leave this table understanding. Um, I do not represent uh, every athlete in the world because there's some people whose personalities will not match with mine and I, if you're not hands-on and you don't want to understand a transaction, you don't have a business mind, then it's not going to be a good fit. You'll need to be able to appreciate what's happening. You'll need to understand that uh, disruption is taking place fast every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, people are cutting the cords. They're, they're, uh, we're in a digital native world. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand all the deals and what's happening, all the aspects of the deal. is extremely important that my clients understand that. And I download that information to them. It's, right. You can't text me about it. We have mm -hmm. to have a you know real meeting and conversation. Like people show up for meetings. They, wow. you know, oh, but you know, they have like, yeah. short attention. Yeah. Right, but then again, like, if you see that missing or lacking in would-be clients, do you just decline? I don't. Yeah, I decline that away. client. Yeah. I decline because that person has to come to me ready. I am on XYZ board already. 
And so now I know you're serious. And I've you know come across athletes like that. I'm on this board, and I would like to invest in this company. Here are the investments that I have thought about. And you have a very thoughtful approach as to how you want to do this. If you don't have a thoughtful approach and you tell me you want to invest in hats and T-shirts, I really can't help you because that's just not my sweet spot. So, so with on the technology front, um, when we think about a specific subset of just the uh, uh, sports businesses, sports tech, it's where a lot of investment dollars have gone in the last few years. Um, are there is there also a correlation to interest in and curiosity about technology? Just some people are more inclined to be kind of ahead of the curve, thinking about artificial intelligence and virtual reality and things like that while other people are not. I mean, so, so like the sports tech, is that particular area of interest for these guys, do you believe, or at I, least for some of them? I absolutely think that it is because a lot of them are digital natives. A right. lot of them... That's right. We've got to remember how young they are. Right. Yeah. They're yeah. digital natives, so they, some of them have never seen a cord. Right. So they're absolutely right. all over this. They need to uh, know that the people in the room appreciate that because sometimes the people who are bringing the deals to them are not digital natives and they don't understand the concepts and they don't understand the deal as well as uh, the, the professional athletes. When I when I walk into a room and I see the founder of a particular uh, wearables um, selling these, these different devices, they have to understand that the athletes are wearing them, they already know about them, they're knowledgeable about them. What are you going to bring to the table that's different? How are we how is it going to advance me in my career, in my investment, and so forth? Right. So let's go to the other side. And and you know, we've seen a lot of successful business people come into the ownership suite and basically lose their minds. They forget what they're doing that made them successful and they become fans. How do you advise athletes about staying away from the fanboy owners? or the fanboy businesses where they're coming in just to say, to go to the country club or the or wherever they're gonna go and say, oh, you know, Andre is on my board now. Uh, isn't that cool? Maybe now we can get something from the Warriors. Um, I would imagine that's almost as big a problem because I would imagine that most of the people on the corporate side, Tom, don't really, haven't really been around the athlete mentality, although it's, you know, probably similar in, in a dog-eat-dog business, but, how do you how do you, how do how do athletes avoid that from being you know kind of being sucked in from jock sniffers who say oh we just want to have an athlete you know we want to be cool because we've got black athletes on our board isn't well, that yeah but also and related to us like we grew up in an era in our early years in sports where our owners were very much hands off removed yes. they weren't known in the media they weren't known by fans they just mm-hmm. kind of dealt with everything from afar mm-hmm. and then you know with the um, advent of Ted Leonsis buying the Capitals and the Wizards and then Mark Cuban and mm-hmm. You know, through the UFC bomber and Dan Gilbert, these guys are very much mm-hmm. in the in the story itself, and very close to the athletes to see the relationship that Cuban has with Dirk Nowitzki and things like that, and and Ted being you know so so mm-hmm. he seems to be very close to a lot of the guys that he employs. That's a really different dynamic, isn't it? So. So how do you, how do you follow up to do it? How do you avoid that? Is, is it a problem? Do you say, well, like, is that a good thing? Yeah. Do you see, like, oh, fanboy, stay away from this guy or this woman? I, yes, I think that's that's the answer. You need to stay focused on your purpose, on your role, and the business purpose of it. You understand that it's it's a game and it's mm-hmm. fun, but it's also a big business. This is a multi-billion-dollar. Uh, 
generating uh, in revenue. Meaning, uh, meaning sports. Yes, absolutely. So you don't go in thinking about just the game aspect and the fun aspect. Think about, okay, so when I show up, there's, there's lots of money being made here. Mm-hmm. And how do I... Uh, capitalize on that because everyone else is right so everyone else is capitalizing on this so how do i stay focused on that specific purpose so sabrina just to kind of wrap up that point uh, that we were talking about about the athlete and the businesses that they're involved with how do you how does someone kind of divest themselves from sitting in a room with this massive guy or this really kind of engaging woman who happens to be an athlete and look at them and say, no, they're actually a Stanford grad or an NYU grad um, and have these degrees. And I want to talk to them because they're engaged in a business versus saying, oh, we want to have some athlete come in because we think it's cool to have an athlete on our board. How do you advise an athlete to say, you know, we hope this guy doesn't even know who I am versus um, saying, oh, he's coming in just because that's what got me in the door? First and foremost, I would advise the athlete to go in knowing all the issues. You want, you want to go into the room understanding the issues, understand the concepts, so have a meeting with your advisor before you even get into the room. And then go, in, go into the meeting focused on the business purpose. You're, you're a professional athlete that's one of the hats. Take that hat off and come into the room with a uh, purpose in mind, I have 15 minutes to talk about this issue, Mm -hmm. and then you're done. If a professional athlete cannot stay focused on a particular issue, then the best course of action is to have an advisor speak on his or her behalf, because that, you don't want to sabotage that that business uh, transaction based on your lack of knowledge or your your executive presence because that's right. what it is. So if he walks in the guy's wearing a Mitchell and Ness jersey and has his Clippers hat on backwards, it's probably a good sign that he's not there just to talk about business. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. so, all right, well, let's talk a little bit about some of the big issues in the business right now as it relates to sports and athletes and athlete management and the relationship between uh, unions and leagues. Uh, there's a lot to talk about here, but let's start out with one that's got a lot of press, particularly in the last year or two, and that is the collection of data from players and the exploitation or usage and exploitation of that data, which I guess could be called intellectual property, uh, and where that stands both kind of legally and from a business standpoint as far as you know. And I don't know if you've had any specific experiences with it, uh, but you know between the collection of performance tracking data and personal biometric data, there's an enormous, and it's only growing. Sure. It's, uh, it's an issue that it feels like it's going to come to a boiling point in the next round of CBAs for these leagues. Sure, I agree. I, there's so much revenue being generated in this industry. So you have merchandising and advertising and so forth. At some point, we need to stop selling this athlete, okay? So am I going to sell my data as well? Who does it belong to? I think at some point it has to be your data because now you're tracking a person's uh, sleeping habits and how does that impact that person's contract when they go in? Does the does the contract get impacted by the fact that this athlete looks like he's having way too much fun two o'clock in the morning outside in the clubs? Yeah. Or is what at what point do we disassociate those two uh, those two aspects of negotiating the contract? Okay, so his personal or her personal data versus what's real and what are the concepts in a CBA and so forth and what's, what are real aspects in a contract. I think that at some point, 
there has to be some type of um, disassociation. There are issues now with athlete activism, and so athletes are going out and they're saying, well, okay, there's a, a profiling and so forth. Now you can get tracked with wearable devices. You're, so sure. you were at this place or you were not this, and that doesn't become a criminal issue, doesn't become a search and seizure issue. Mm-hmm. What type of issue are, are present? Right. Uh, or what type of issues are present here? So it's very important that athletes understand and their agents understand because they're negotiating, negotiating this contract, what actually is my intellectual property, what actually belongs to me, what ha- belongs to the league. Does right. the league own me, own everything? It just is, uh, No, I think it's a really, it's a, it's a question for the ages because it feels like you could make an argument, a pretty good argument on both sides. Sure. So if I'm an owner, I could say, I'm investing millions of dollars in this person. I want to know their uh, most recent acceleration off the line of scrimmage numbers because I need to compare that to all my other choices in the marketplace, right? And if that data is available, then I think I should have it. If I'm the player, I'm saying, or my the agent or the lawyer, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know if I want that shared. Let's say beyond my own kind of. considerations for what I'm doing as a, as a trained athlete, you know, with my own private training, for example. I, I don't know. Joe, what do you think? And what's the context of it? Is it, you know, I didn't get enough sleep because my two-year-old was up to four o'clock in the morning and that's what I'm being used Or I was out partying with or a I was couple other guys. I, I tried to take the high road. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, we are talking about young right. 20-somethings in most right. cases. What's, what's their own waiver line? Nothing good ever happens after midnight. Right. right. So, but anyway. Right. Um, you know, and how is that all played out and who owns it and then what's public and what's not public. So I would imagine that's something with your clients, uh, especially in dealing with leagues, teams, and owners, that probably continues to come up. And is there an answer yet or where do you think the answer is going to come from? That's a, I think it's a good question. I don't believe that there's a good answer for it yet. But there's actually, uh, as you said, arguments, as Tom said, arguments on both sides mm-hmm. because... You're, if an owner is investing and the contracts are getting exponentially higher for yeah. in, in some sport, if I'm investing so much in uh, in this player, I should be able to advertise and merchandise and understand what this player is doing. I mean, if you think about there are certain uh, drug policies, so you can't do certain drugs or certain things. So it, there is an argument that, well, you we need to monitor and screen you. You're young, you're, you've never been right. uh, in this environment before, so we need to monitor what you're doing. So it, it, there isn't an answer that I uh, think is appropriate at this time right. for both sides, but I think they're working on uh, coming to yeah. some type of... I mean, do you, do you think this has the potential? Obviously, finances will always be at the top of the list when it comes to disagreements and CBA negotiations, but do you think this has the potential to be um, a, a, a really difficult issue to ultimately find a find a middle ground on? It, it may uh, be a, a, a difficult issue. Disruption is happening yeah. so much right. in so many different areas that, and it's such a brand new issue. So right. I, it's, it's an issue of first impression because right. many, many leagues Many uh, owners, many athletes never had to deal with this. Right. So it's an issue of first impression. And so, yes, there will be. It's a difficult question and a di- difficult question. And there's, I don't think there's a real answer. It's going to be difficult to come to an answer. The athletes that you either work with or know, 
are they concerned about this, or is it something like, oh, that's the next yeah, generation? Yeah, maybe, maybe we business people are overthinking yeah. this. I don't yeah. know. There are some athletes who are very concerned about it. Mm -hmm. There are some who are very uh, mindful of what they're actually doing in terms of what data belongs to me. There's some athletes mm -hmm. on social media that tweet about anything and everything, and right. so I'll put anything out there, but there's some who are very mindful, especially the ones who are more business-focused. They want to have some type of uh, protection in place and available. Like, at what point do I get to to protect my rights and my body? This is my person. At what point does this you know information become exposed and and what limitations could there be if I do I is an open gate if I just say okay well of course we open the floodgates because you can just uh, take all my data and do whatever so yeah there are some athletes that are very concerned. It also Joe seems like it's one of these issues in when we think about the use of statistics and data in general all parties always use data to their advantage sure. mm -hmm. so it could be a case where when the agent and his player have good numbers relatively speaking right. in, the, in the competitive set yes they they want to say yeah well, look we have we have, we have uh, indisputable evidence that he's the number one running back in the NFL right now therefore he should be the number one salary and then uh, two years later after he's had a knee injury you know it may be the exact opposite like he's actually declined he still has potential right. but he's not number one he's number twenty seven sure. or something like that I mean wow it's going to be really it's, it's going to be tricky to get through this so you mentioned athlete activism yes. Mm. Big issue, obviously, in America right now in the sports landscape, yeah. especially within the NFL, but in other sports as well. It, and, and this is more just an opinion question and not answering as a lawyer, but is there a place for it kind of on the public stage? And I'm thinking specifically about Colin Kaepernick and the NFL, right. uh, and it's become basically this, this issue that has exploded into something I don't think anybody predicted a year ago. That's a good question. I am not of the mind that an athlete becomes an athlete because he or she wants to take a, some type of political stance. So it's not that, okay, I want to be an uh, activist athlete. I don't want to do that. I just want to play. I just want to play a sport. However, there are real issues that are taking place in, in and around the country. I mean, if we think about um, just a lot of from, even from the WNBA, how many of those women are actually a part of tech deals? Like, I, I can't really count. There was a great article um, in the Times last week um, about the fact that there are no women's sneaker brands right now, which right. was really interesting. I had never thought mm -hmm. of that before. Mm -hmm. so. so that speaks to uh, gender parity. It mm -hmm. also speaks, even if you look around America, there is... There are no uh, CEOs, or there is not a CEO that of a Fortune five Fortune five hundred company that is a black woman. Again, mm -hmm. so why is that? What, the, what one of the issues for corporate boards this year is is uh, in twenty seventeen is gender disparity in on boards. Mm -hmm. So corporate board, it's a real issue. I advise boards all the time. So it's a real issue. How do we get women on corporate boards? How do we do this? So no one wants to be an activist attorney, activist athlete, activist any of those things. I, I don't I just don't think that someone signed a contract and says okay I'm gonna play and I'm gonna kneel at the same time. It just mm -hmm. is just two separate worlds. But there are 
so many issues that are taking place in the in the country that there it brings an awareness to it. Is there a public? I mean, where else are we going to do it? The, the, the social media, Twitter, Facebook, because of again their digital natives, everything almost seems to be public. Everything is now there's an open forum for everything, and so at some point they'll need to speak out because on the other side, I mean, the, the, the disparity is real. So it's very real, it's very clear, it exists. So how do you, have it? but I feel like the, the, the public forum should be where two sides speak to each other. It, it's, otherwise the athletes is talking to each other's echo chamber. Right. So you're kneeling and you're how's that helping you if you're not talking to the owner of this team or or someone else that you feel is the problem or right. you know the political parties, the, the facts you need to have a conversation because their implicit bias exists, okay? So I don't know if you saw hidden figures. Yes. So hidden mm-hmm. figures, Great you movie. know, I, I think that there's lessons to be learned from that of how um, executives could help to advance uh, just people, athletes, everyone of color, who, uh, just to help them for the good of the enterprise, for the good of the sport. So, because sport it, it helps to bring so many people together. You're at a game and you can be there with people from all nations, mm-hmm. all... Uh, you can all hate everybody at the same time. time yes. Right, and, and right, so it, 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 it's, it's there, it, that's the best place to have the conversation, mm-hmm. because here we are together, not on, in a room where we're arguing and talking about it amongst each other, and it's not really, it's an echo chamber. So talk to the people where you, with whom you have the boss. Right, I think an interesting aspect of this that, again, I don't think anybody knows the answer to is like, you go back to the 60s and the incredible influence of Muhammad Ali yeah. and he but he was he was an individual he right. played an individual sport right. he did not he was not an employee right. of an employer right. he kind of could do what he wanted to do and he was obviously quite bold in what he did the difference here of course for organized sports and modern day organized sports is when the employees are actually under contract and employees of we've all been employees of room company right where there's expectations of behavior. Some we all agree with, some we don't. Right. But normally you kind of have to go along with the program whether you agree with it or not. And, and I'm not taking this any either sure. way here. And but this to me is a really interesting question of how far yeah. the employer, or not how far, but how they deal with it because ultimately it's their property. And right. you could have an employer who also owns a public company. That's true. Who is influenced by and often they do have other business right. interests, right. Right. of course. So, it's a disruption, just like technology is a disruption. So you have uh, all these different disruptions that are happening now. So Instacart and Amazon, Walmart, everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. So uh, this is also another type of disruption. The, the disparity is also type of it needs to be handled, it needs to right. be dealt with because it's it really uh, creates an issue. When right, one more point on this, I just think uh, is. So you think about, I I used the phrase before, on the public stage, so I'm thinking of a kneel down at an NFL game or or national anthem on a national broadcast, as opposed to, let's say, an athlete on Twitter, just kind of a private, I mean, it's a public stage in terms of social media, but he's not doing it technically as an employee of 
it's not like an employee act, I guess, ultimately. I mean, people have been fired. I mean, the people have been fired. Well, that's, but that's a good thing. But there's been some pretty aggressive stuff on social media from athletes who right. are employed. Sure. Who, and have gotten away with it right. through the years. And it continues. Right. So I guess I, I don't know. Again, I don't know the answer. To me, right. it's an interesting case. But right. if you were dealing with a client right now who wanted your advice on this, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but like, what, what do you tell them right now? Well, I, there are other ways to get your point across than right. losing your job and being, you know, right. because you have, you may and have. And then a, you're off the stage altogether. Oh, I think, right. right. And no one hears you. And so, so there are other ways to get that done. Have a conversation with the people with whom you have the problem. I like talking to people who don't look like me and who don't think like me because then we can come together and come to some type of resolution. But I don't believe that it's, you know, I wouldn't say go out and be an activist. I'm not going to be an activist or anything, but that's my personality. I'm just not an activist. Right, okay. But, but the other thing is, vote with your checkbook. You know, if you want right. to support causes, right. you right. have a great stage, support right. the causes. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's another big thing. And I know we have to wrap things up as we, we get to the end. And Sabrina is well aware of our two questions, Tom. Oh, so, good. Okay, so, so, um, so let's get into them. Yeah. So uh, first we'd like to know how everybody... We talk to stay smart. What do you What do you read? What do you listen to? Who do you pay attention to to, to keep up with everything? Uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Sports Business Journal, uh, Sports Business Daily. So those are that you constantly stay uh, abreast of the news and what's happening. Those are great, great, I think, sources. You have to definitely, of course, read Joe's newsletter. There it is. The damn stuff keeps coming up again. The better answer would have been starting with that. And then saying in your classes. So that was number one. Number two is... Wait, but before you go on, I'm just curious, because we are, both Joe and I are intrigued by the increasing influence and power of podcasts as an informational content tool. Are you a podcast fan? I am a podcast fan. Other than this podcast? No, I've mean, actually been asked. This is the first one I've accepted because okay. it's Joe. Joe. <laughs> but it's, I have been. I think it's a great, great... Um, Any any things that you're liking these days that are interesting to you uh, in terms of the specific podcast? I saw earlier this year uh, Morgan Stanley did a podcast with uh, one of the actors from Hamilton on... Uh, just becoming and be remaining financially savvy mm, in this okay. industry, yeah. and I thought that was a phenomenal article. So when you say this industry, specifically sports or uh, sports and entertainment? Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not familiar. I'll have to send okay, it to okay. you. That's okay. where we should yes. find. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, who inspired you to get to where you are? I mean, you talked to your family and Johnny Cochran, but were there two or three other people that, that were out there or that continue to inspire you? Yes, I had phenomenal mentors in college. And Who were they? Name them. Yes. If you can. I have to say Timothy Stroop. Mm-hmm. We have been friends. We, he's my professor, but he has been my friend. And his, uh, Tim lives with his wife, Alice, in um, the Catskill. Alice teaches at Bard, and uh, he taught at John Jay College. And he he has been phenomenal up to this day. So you've kept in touch all these of years. Of course. We'll go, we go to the Met for uh, the for the, the men, not the men's no, 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 right, the men's for opera. We go and he introduced me to opera, and we we go to the Met uh, in a Saturday afternoon during the spring. Wow. And we have that we have a long leash. Day games, lunch. I like the <laughs> So it's 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 he he helped me to. Uh, I was actually put on the waiting list for Harvard uh, in going to law school, 
and he just we talked about that. He's, and we talked about moving to California. And I I don't know who does this, but I told uh, Harvard to take me off their waiting list, and then I moved on. Good for you. I was happy to move to California. So he is phenomenal. Second person I would say is um, Ted Pontefoy. And I just uh, read and worked on his manuscript, which uh, Parasites, Politics, and Romance in Africa. Amazing professor. Wow. And just a great professor. From John Jay? Or from, yeah. from John Jay. Wow. Yeah. Nice. He, was, he was an amazing professor. He said, the thought that he always uh, left with me is, be selfishly constructive. That's and, a good one. I like that. Yes, yeah. And it was... There's our title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I that more so, yeah. There's so, so many things. Okay, that, you, what does that mean? Self-meaning that there's so many uh, um, people and things that are pulling for your attention. You need to focus on what you need to get done to be constructive and as constructive as you possibly can. So it's Labor Day weekend, and you have, but your classes start on the 6th. Why don't you figure out how to prepare for class right. as opposed to partying all weekend? Right. So that was uh, uh, him being self telling me about being selfishly constructive. Um, I'm going to say that just there's so many people, yeah. and but I'm going to say today and over the Joe Favorito. I have to say that I don't say that because he's sit, sitting here. Yes, you are. You're such yes, an you advocate, such an advocate, so helpful with information and, and just, just a good bullshit. No, 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 no. You're just absolutely amazing, and just you know, you're just amazing in terms of um, helping moving things along. You get things done. You you help to move things along, and I met Joe through um, what? My, my college roommate, <laughs> right. Joe Dean, you know, right? And we were, and I was uh, pulled in by one of the executives for the Yankees, and and Joe has been consistent, consistent. Yeah, does it for a lot of people? As oh you know. my goodness, like yeah. you know, just fantastic. And I think I I, I always appreciate that. Love no, no, really? no, no, no. There's always, and, yeah. and I'll say this, and it, I don't know. This if, sounds like a LinkedIn recommendation. No, no, no. Even if it's, even if it's, <laughs> it, I'll say this, I appreciate that um, you always need someone to champion the cause for diversity, mm -hmm. and Joe does that well. As, as is Tom, and I mean, that's one of the things Tom. we've talked about a lot. No, we try, and we've both been in the business yeah. a long time, and it's, and it's really kind of galling to, yeah. to both of us that the diversity issue persists. Right. Uh, and actually, it's a good segue to, did you have something else you want to And I just wanted to throw out, there were two things along those lines. One was Ted Leonsis did a great post on LinkedIn. Yes, I saw that. About the Washington Mystics making the playoffs and the opportunity for women, and I actually tweeted back at him saying, it's not just getting women in position, it's having young women in a position to get jobs. Which now we start to, we saw it in the high school program, and I'm really brief about this but We have more young girls in our high school program, and we had Alexa Simpson on our podcast. And the reason why they are getting involved now, generationally, is it's a, they've gone to games with their fathers, their fathers have been around them, seen them be athletes, and the fathers and the mothers are now realizing well, maybe you could go and do something else with this great thing of sports, and you're a great example of that, Sabrina. Thank you. Um, because you don't have to go and play in the WNBA. Maybe you could be a general manager in the WNBA, so let's go take sports and business classes and figure out how to do yeah, that. Yeah, which wasn't something yep. anybody was saying about yep. 15 years ago. Yeah, and, and I can't remember what the other point was, but that was a, that was a good one. No, so, that, that so really is, and, and actually that's a good segue to the last question. Oh, I got it, before I forget. Oh, okay. So uh, for people who are listening to this, before the middle of September, the Game Changers Conference, which is yes, Sports Business part, Journal does right. on September 14th, I believe it is. Right. Highly important, not just for women to show up, but for men to show up for that. Right. And I actually have class that afternoon, but I will be there in the morning. 
because one of the complaints about it was that it's all women talking to women, and I think it's very important for well, you men. You got shut out, right? And, well, no, I got shut out at the at the SBJ event okay. in California. That's nice. <laughs> I got thrown out. Right, we'll save that one. So, but anyway, well, I think you may have even told that on, on yeah. air. The Game Changers Conference on September 14th in New York, um, helping Dan, our, our good friend Dan Mannix helps put it together and create this amazing list. Very important for people to attend. Right. So, so I think it's um, based on all those comments. Um, a good twist on our final question, which is about career advice, is why don't, why don't you direct your advice specifically to young women and, and young diversity candidates, minorities and stuff in, in the business that are trying to break in? Because usually we do as a general thing, which is fine, and the principles usually apply. But I do believe there needs to be extra help with the ones that are not, uh, has, who have not traditionally been as successful for some reason in this business. Sure, I think you need four people on your team. First, you need a mentor, someone who understands where you want to be, speaks with you every six to eight weeks, understands your personal and professional development, and is actually where you want to be and can advise on your next steps. The second person is a coach. You need a some type of career coach who will help you to, un, to get to your career goals, meaning you have specific goals. You have a personal business plan that says, okay, I would like to do this by next year and in, in, in 2018 and 2019 I'll do. And your career coach keeps you on track to say, okay, these are the steps that you said you were going to take. Why haven't you taken them? The person motivates you and help you to get there. Or I see that you're doing this. This is great. You're definitely on track. So you don't want to get uh, uh, to lose focus. And so that's what the career coach does. You need a sponsor. And for a anyone that is a uh, woman, you need a male sponsor. If you're a not if you're a woman of color, you need a white male sponsor. Someone who's going to speak on your behalf behind the scenes in the room and said not because there is a not because you're a black person or Asian or any other uh, uh, persuasion but because you are good at what you do you you have the credentials you would never have someone else to speak on your behalf uh, if it were not for this person, we're going to, you're going to speak to a bunch of women in a room who are not going to be able to take you to the next mm -hmm. place. So you need that person who is diverse to help you. Uh, and that means you develop that relationship. And it's a two-way relationship. How can I help you? And you constantly figure out how can I help this person and how this person can help me. But you need a sponsor. Otherwise, you'll be mentored to death and coached to death and you will never get to the next level in your career. And lastly, I would say that you have to be the CEO of, you have a board of directors, but you're the CEO of your career. You figure out, okay, what do I need to do to get to the next level? Do I add something significant to my life each year? Do I get married? Do I have children? Do I teach? Do I, you know, what do I do? What's the next step? Mm -hmm. Do I invest in real estate? Do I go enter into a partnership and do a tech agreement with someone? Right. So I mm -hmm. think those are the four uh uh, individual that you need to have on your team. That's really good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, no, it's excellent. I was just as you were describing it, I'm thinking it's almost like the uh, the mentor is like the chairman, of course, so giving you just general big picture sure. advice and encouragement, and then the coach is kind of like your boss, right. <laughs> who's actually making you more accountable and Absolutely. maybe providing some tough love. Sure. The sponsor is kind of like a good colleague right. slash friend who right. helps you out in business. Absolutely. And then the third person is ultimately your personal accountability right. to yeah. actually be 
following through on these plans and having that, per, would you call it a personal business plan? You have a, you have a personal business plan, a, a written good, a personal person. business plan. Written, Absolutely. Ah, even better. Every business right. has a business plan. And actually doing right. what good people in business do, which is you f refer to your plan, you follow the plan, you execute okay. the plan, That's and hopefully right. you succeed at the Absolutely. plan. Absolutely. And then you tear the plan up and start all over. Right. <laughs> and then you do one for next year. Right. And you market um, the plan, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so lastly, how do people find you? Are you on social media actively? I am on social media. Hannum Law Group, please follow us or like us. We'd love to um, give you advice or if you, uh, not legal advice because I can't do that, but we are, we ha we're happy to share information with you and that's what, so Hannum Law Group, H-A-N-N-A-M. Well, we know that if we, anybody becomes client of Sabrina's, they're never going to be mentioned publicly. <laughs> that's one thing we've That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so where, where else? So, okay. so that's Twitter, the, the handle? That's Facebook. Okay, Facebook. Twitter. Okay, yes. and then Twitter? Not I'm, on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. Oh, it's just wow. Hannah Joe has some password. Yeah, <laughs> and, and LinkedIn. Are you on LinkedIn? Yeah. I will update that profile. So there you go. <laughs> yes. And yeah, that's one piece of advice we'd give to you. Is like yes, you got you got to work LinkedIn. Absolutely, I absolutely. Yeah. And Twitter, I know Joe is going to. It's okay. Me in it's not for everybody. So <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think yeah. I mean, you have you. You're a mm -hmm. smart enough person uh, and successful enough to know how you can use it. You, right. just, have to, you just have to kind of make, uh, in my opinion, a, a small commitment to it. Right, and for people so. not to think that it's legal advice, that that's the whole yeah. thing. Well, that's an interesting <laughs> point. Yeah, right. you don't want to be dishing right. <laughs> this stuff in a, right. in a public tweet, but uh, although some people try. Some people will like my tweet. All right, well, that was terrific. Thanks for yep. putting this together, Joe. And Sabrina, thanks for joining thanks, us. Sabrina. I appreciate it. Really Thank nice you. to you. And welcome to uh, the group uh, at Columbia. Uh, look forward to being with you on some of those projects. Thank you. Okay. And once again, this was the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Fabrino for my co-host, Tom Richardson, and our guest today, Sabrina Hannon. Thanks again, and we'll see you down the road. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and my co-host is Joe Fabrino. My production assistant this week is Columbia student, Reese Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CU underscore SPS underscore sports. Also, you can find out more about our program, Columbia University Sports Management Program, by going online at sps.columbia.edu forward slash sports hyphen management. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.